I think it might be a little bit weird if I say it, but for a lawyer to say it, but I think that the less the regulator puts effort in making laws, the better for the industry. Hey there, don't forget to comment, subscribe, and share this episode. It's really important for us. And now, to the episode itself. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Tan. I'm VP of Product at AppMagic. And I'm Yessa, Senior Game Designer at Product Madness. So we're your co-hosts here on the Names and Games podcast. A podcast where we talk about games and people in them. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with AppMagic, an analytical tool for analyzing mobile markets and gaining actionable insights. On today's episode, we're talking about the game industry's legal labyrinths. But... We're not alone on this journey. Our guests today are Alexandra, the co-founder of Versus and Futura, consulting companies uniting more than 100 experts, and Alina, head of digital and game dev. Welcome. Hi. Hello, everyone. Alexandra, Alina, welcome to the cast. So, Alexandra, why don't you just uh, introduce yourself and your company to us and our audience? Yeah, thank you guys for invitation. I'm so delighted to be here. And yes, I'm co-founder of quite a big consulting group. And we have a separate team of lawyers who are focused only on game development, fintech, media, and technology sphere. We operate practically worldwide uh, from Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, MANA, European Union, and uh, try to help uh, game dev or IT companies. So about me, originally, I'm from St. Petersburg. So I'm used to gray sky and uh, gray ground. But now I'm living in Dubai and uh, uh, I survived my first summer here. So as a team, we have a very wide uh, range of skills, but my core expertise and passion is uh, intellectual property. I'm practicing intellectual property law approximately for 12 years before it was Ernst Young and now in my own company. And uh, I love everything related to creative business and um, especially when we talk about games. Cool. That's really great. Amazing. Yeah, Alina, what about you? Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm working with Alexandra uh, at uh, Versus and Futura Companies and uh, heading the game dev development uh, section. So mostly I've been doing law for more than 10 years and specifically doing game dev for more than five years. And I assume that doing and practicing law in game dev is the most fun the lawyer can have generally in this career. <laughs> None of this can be compared to doing the, the lawyering in the game dev sphere. So I really love it. And uh, also I'm a gamer, a little bit gamer myself. I mean, I cannot call myself a true gamer. I cannot probably compare it to you guys or our listeners. But I really love uh, I love the games. I love playing them and I love uh, doing them at work. So basically, it's a win-win situation for me. And I live in Dubai as well right now. So yeah, currently suffering from the lack of forests and uh, gray sky. But it's okay. I love it. Wow, amazing. Both of you, welcome. Welcome to the, to the cast. We're really excited to dive into this topic with you guys because I think it's something we don't hear about uh, all too often, the legal component of this industry, which has grown over time. Right, Stan? Yeah, it is so. Like, we are a big business right now. We're a big boys and girls, and gaming industry is maturing. It's a serious thing. But yet, there are still a lot of gray areas there, especially considering different legal procedures. So, is it possible to copyright or make a patent on your game mechanic 
or game at whole. What to do when you find a clone of your game and it earns more money and more revenue than your original game? What is the procedure in general? How you can help yourself and how can you protect yourself from troll patterns? So these and much more we want to discuss today. Disclaimer here, I know very little about this topic. Um, I'm, I'm sailing in waters truly outside of my expertise, and, and that you know may, might be the same case for many of our listeners. And so, for me as well, so we're in right, the same boat here, <laughs> sailing it. Um, yeah. We're very happy you're here, because without you, this topic wouldn't have made much sense, right? So let's first unpack that first thing, that thing that Alexander was talking about. There's a lot of laws out there on the books from kind of, you know, parallel adjacent industries, film, perhaps other kinds of media. And uh, we can see that those laws can be applied to the gaming industry in some extent. I, I want to kind of mix that. And, and Alina, a follow-up question to you. What are some instances in which we see these laws being applied in gaming that you would consider to be almost like causing problems? Is that the case? Like, what are the pitfalls of taking parts of law from one industry and applying them to, to games. I wouldn't say that there's a pitfall and I wouldn't say that there is something wrong with that. Actually, this is how we work right now. We take the laws from other industries and apply them to game dev. And I can't say that that's gone wrong. Uh, in my opinion, it's actually, again, I wouldn't say that there is a law for movie industry and I wouldn't say there is a law for media industry. There are general laws uh, that just govern the more or less the same type of relationship. There is a copyright law and it applies both to movies. It applies both to journalists. It applies even to influencers that we have right now on Instagram. So the laws are more or less the same and they apply to just to different types of industries. And game dev is not an exception here. Of course, there are certain specific might might be specific laws for the movie industry because there is like, there are just different types of relationship there that are quite specific for this. Like, there is a producer usually, there is usually a director, there are usually actors, and of course it has just some similarities with the, movie, uh, with the gaming because we also have more or less the same type of roles in games because we have the voices, we have the guys who do the voicing, we have uh, people who engage together in one team to do the code, to do the art. And the idea, again, more or less the same. It's just how we implement it. Mm. I hope it's wow. understandable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and just to add, what you need to know about intellectual property law, that uh, generally it's uh, international law and uh, it's only about uh, tools. As uh, Alina mentioned, we have copyright, we have trademarks, we have patents, and we have know-how. And that's it. We have only like several instruments how to protect your intellectual property and um, I think that all uh, famous countries and not only famous but like uh, approximately all countries in the world they use these uh, tools some of them has know-how some of them doesn't have this tool but uh, trademarks and copyright are quite common moreover we have a Berlin convention which was created uh, more than 100 years ago and it has uh, over 180 participants. So a lot of countries, includes all Asian countries like China, Hong Kong, Singapore, and etc. All European countries, all uh, America, Latin American countries, and so on. Like 
more than 150 countries, participants of this convention. So we have quite very similar tools how to protect intellectual property and uh, intellectual property anywhere in game dev or in any other creative business. It's how it's uh, in books. In practice, sure, we have very different approach, which uh, is different in any country, how any country implement these rules in its uh, jurisdiction, in uh, its procedures. You know what? I think that's the moment when our boat was a little bit shaking. So maybe that's the best time to just go through all these four terms, Alexandra, you've mentioned. In simple words, explain each and every one of them. Like, if I recall it correctly, copyright, trademark, know-how, and patent. These four, right? So let's go word by word. The first one was copyright, I guess. So what's that? So yeah, basically we have these four concepts. And as uh, Alexandra has mentioned, most of the countries recognize them as the concepts that work in their countries as well. So yeah, copyright is something that arises start right from the start when something was invented. So let's say you create a piece of work, a piece of art, piece of literature, piece of music, whatever. So from the moment something something creative was started. And from that moment, you become the author of the creative work and basically you get the copyright. And actually, this is the biggest distinction between copyright and rights to the copyright from trademark and patents, because in order to get rights for patent and trademark, you have to go and register it. So uh, once you go to the state authority or whatever, and you get the paper, I am the right holder of this patent, I'm the right holder of this trademark. From this moment only, you can also claim your rights. This is the difference from the copyright. You become the author and the copyright holder right from the moment you created something. So basically, most of the games we know don't really need any registration in order to be valid for protection or whatever. So basically, you're already the authors of these uh, games, the authors and the people who collected the rights to themselves are already able to protect them. They are ready to promote them, to get money from it, and whatever, just to enjoy the full copyright. So basically, that's the difference. So and what can I copyright? Like, what, uh, what, what falls under the protection of copyright? Yeah, that's a good question. Basically, the original answer would be anything that is creative and original. So usually pieces of music, literature texts, the scripts, uh, level design maybe, usually the documents that level design is implemented in, uh, any art, any code, any piece of code. So basically, a game is a complex object that consists of different elements, and all of them are copyright objects, and together it's a complex, hard to maybe understand, but it's a complex of many objects, not just one object itself. And yes, there are usually a lot of authors that create the game itself because all of them have their own specialization. And yeah, usually there is one person or one company that collects all this copyright rights on one company or one person via the contracts or employment contracts or whatever. And uh, usually there is one right holder to the game because he should do the right job to collect all these rights from all the authors of the small pieces of this game. All right. That's copyright. So what's a patent then? How does that differ? Alexandra, can you describe the, the difference there? Uh, Alina told us about copyright. And as I mentioned, we have a general copyright act, Berne Convention, which uh, has uh, participants like 180 countries. So when you uh, copyright something, like you created your code, your game, your interface or anything, image, you already have uh, this uh, copyright, never mind where you are, in London, in Dubai, 
in uh, Belisi or anywhere. When we talk about trademarks or patents, you can possess a right to this patent or to this trademark only on the territory where you have registered your right. So it's much more complicated and uh, you need to choose when you want to register your trademark or you want to register your patents. You need to choose countries which you are focused on. And uh, first of all, you need to check if anybody has a similar trademark or similar patent. And only then, when you're completely sure that uh, nobody has uh, something similar, you can possess your own patent, your, you can register your own trademark, your own patent. So it's a much more complicated uh, procedure on how to protect intellectual property via this method. So I have a question. If everything down to the code of my game could be protected under copyright and copyright is valid everywhere, everywhere within the signatories of that treaty that you were talking about or that agreement that you were talking about, right, Alexandra? What do I need to patent? What kind of things do your clients, people in the game dev industry, what kind of things do they patent? I would step up here. I would say that usually the idea of patenting is the, when you protect an invention. And here is mm-hmm. the core idea is what is an invention? Invention should be something that nobody has done before and the concept of it should be completely new to all the users. So basically when you write a code, of course it's unique. Of course it's original. Nobody has written it before. But it's usually not an invention itself. It's not something like the concept that changes the, the game industry itself or how the users should play or something. So for this reason, patent is really something that is really rare because really true R&D uh, centers usually work to create patents, not not just, you know, software developers. And uh, second of all, as Alexandra has mentioned, you have to patent it in different jurisdictions and it usually takes years to patent something. It's not something you can do it in one month or two months. This is something that should go through very thorough expertise of the local authority that's in charge of patenting specific country, first of all. And second of all, it's really expensive. I wouldn't say that it's something that every company can afford. Really do one patent in one jurisdiction can cost you a fortune and doing it in several, only really big companies can afford them. And I'm sure we will talk about that in the end, or maybe we can bring it up now. But really, only the most prominent companies right now in the game dev industry, like Nintendo or like, you know, Warner Brothers can afford patenting, especially not just in one country, but in several. Uh, say we are a small studio, we are creating mobile games. And we ended up with a very interesting idea of core gameplay, very sticky, very, very unique. And then there is a big company out there who just decided to copy it, changing one line of code or one image. And even though our game is copyrighted, we can't sue them. So it basically means that from the moment we're in global launch, so any other company can download our game and can try it, they can totally copy it change, for example, the appearance of the main character, and then using their their power, their marketing budgets, earn much more than us. Is it correct? I would say 50-50. <laughs> I would say on the one hand, it <laughs> is correct that, yes, 
anyone can take what you make public, whatever you disclose. And yes, if the changes are great enough and the changes are really crucial, then you probably will not be able to have any rights to claim. However, again, it's it's the matter of what we say, but by copying, because sometimes uh, copying just one little thing, of course, it doesn't change anything and you can still sue the guys. However, if the copies, if the changes are so, uh, there are many of them and uh, the original is really different from whatever is in the outcome, then it's probably hard to say that the copyright really can protect you because the changes were introduced and there are so many of them that you cannot really recognize the original from the copied version of the game. So it's hard to say right now uh, what will be the outcome of your example uh, because we need to look at both games and usually this is what we do. What our clients bring to us lawyers, they come to us, they bring us, oh, our our game was completely copycat. There is a completely copycat, it was completely copied, but we look at them and we see two different games with no real copy and sometimes it's really hard for for us to forecast what will be the outcome because the copying wasn't that obvious for us. Yeah, at the end of the day, like we're talking about them as if these are hard and fast rules that always apply like black on whites. But at the end of the day, there are, you guys are in this industry for a reason. You're interpreting the law. You're interpreting the uh, the creative things that you that you see, the games in question, and and of course comparing the two and seeing seeing where the answer lies. So it's a bit of a gray zone, right? At the end of the day, yes, this I kind agree. Of... And I would also add that, of course, there are more hyper casual games in the world than triple A projects, of course. And hyper casual is such a genre where, you know, uh, games come out so fast and they, of course, copy each other in this or that way. And sometimes it's really hard for us to understand whether it's a real copycat or, you know, two different people just had the same thought in different parts of the world at the same time. Why not? It's possible. So they were just, you know, inspired by the same movie or the same other game that they had a look at. So basically, yes, it's pretty hard to say sometimes whether it was copycatted or just, you know, it came to your mind simultaneously with another person. And as for the hyper-casual games, I would like to add one thing, is that um, of course, sometimes it's hard to claim whether there was, you know, a copyright pr- a violation on the one hand or on the other hand, there was just, you know, misleading or, um, you know, complete copying of a game so that another user would mislead your game for another game. So it's another practice that some, you know, bad faith uh, players in game dev market use. So uh, on the one hand, uh, hyper casual is the first genre that you think of when you think that, oh my God, it's impossible to protect anything there. But on the other hand, we know some cases and, you know, there are some companies like Voodoo, uh, and I, I believe that you had an episode for, with a guy from yeah. Voodoo. Yeah, yeah, uh, we did. We did. So they are actually one of the one that have really great lawyers probably uh, working on that case. So they had several cases, uh, especially in French courts, uh, where they proved that their case, they were copycatted, sorry, but also that they there was a specific misleading situation where a certain app was trying to mislead users so that their game was original Voodoo's game, you know? So that was a really interesting case. So I, I believe it was concerning the wood turning, the game uh, about the wood carving. So uh, basically uh-huh. the whole game was about carving different wood objects and so they had the original game wood turning and the copycat game called wood shop and the idea of the game was the same carving the wood <laughs> but they, but itself it wasn't copied so the art wasn't copied you know the music wasn't copied the code wasn't copied just the idea was copied and voodoo somehow managed to claim and they succeeded in this case that the idea of the game was theirs and uh, the copycat app was just trying to gain the popularity based on the popularity of the original voodoo game that's a real outstanding case but they won that's something very interesting but i mean that is voodoo right 
<laughs> voodoo with voodoo level resources is able to win that case. And like, lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, voodoo voodoo level lawyers, you know. But this, uh, this is, yeah, Alexandra. Uh I just wanted to add that it's not uh, about intellectual property, how to protect it. It's about more about unfair competition. And uh, we can say mm. that it's the fifth instrument, how to protect your game. Mm-hmm. It's uh, not about uh, how to protect methodic or code, but it's about uh, competition. When we see two games, they are completely different, but uh, we see consequences. We see behavior of your opponent. And and this behavior is unfair because uh, it uh, misleads uh, consumers. It uh, tries to benefit from your games, from your reputation. And uh, in legal sphere, it's called uh, unfair competition. Uh, we talked about art, we talked about code, but is it possible to patent, make a know-how for a game mechanic? or game design system? Is it? And if yes, what are the criteria? This is the hardest question in the legal world. Uh, I mean, uh, in probably it will be hard to disclose it here in the format of this podcast, but just to try to outline. Yeah, general rule is no. It's not possible to protect right. mechanic itself. Uh, because the idea, as we said, because it's mostly the concept, the idea, and it actually can be thought about by different people in different parts of the world at the same time. However, at the same time, there are certain cases where mechanics possible to be patented, not copyrighted, but patented. And it mm-hmm. happened. I think I already mentioned that Nintendo has one of the biggest portfolio of patents in, in their in the career, and more than eight thousand patents uh, Nintendo has. Wow. Warner Brothers had a lot of patents. So they are really, really working on that. They have really their own R&D centers. They have thousands of lawyers who are in charge of this. And wow. uh, yeah, they, I mean, this is a strategy that they've been choosing and probably successful strategy. However, at the same time, I would say that although they have so many patents, they don't really make money on that. This is something they use on their own. And I haven't seen actually a lot of court cases where Nintendo would go and sue someone for using their patent technology because as we said it's open anybody can take it since it's patented however at the same time so although they have these patents it doesn't mean automatically that they go and sue everyone in the market but at the same time I've read a lot about their strategy and most of the game dev industry are not happy about it most of the comments I read were like really aggressive like uh, they are really limiting uh, the freedom, they're limiting the creativity and uh, a lot of uh, game dev people that we've been talking about say that this effect of this patenting will likely discourage developers from adopting features that have been inspired by the patents of uh, Warner Brothers or Nintendo or the big guys who of course have the money to go sue everyone else. So just uh, answering your question, yes, it's possible. I wouldn't say that it's 100% possible. It's always uh, something at the discretion of the patent authority who is in charge of examining the patent itself. So a lot of patents are turned down. A lot of patents are not actually patented in the end. And as I told you, it's a long process for two, three years in each separate country. And so a lot of requests just don't succeed in the end. But yes, of course, there are certain patents, especially in game industry, it happens so. But at the end of the day, I can't say that there is a, you know, profound practice of patenting everything you have, uh, or, you know, go protect everything by patent. I would say that it's still an exception rather than a rule. And only the big guys can afford it. Mm-hmm. So thinking of examples, you've mentioned Borderlands 
brothers, and if I recall it correctly, they had their Nemesis system patented, so the one from Shadow of Mordor and the sequel game, and they spent a lot of time trying to patent it, so they began it in 2K15, only succeeded a couple of years ago, I think, so it just was like seven or eight years, a lot of time. And the system itself is pretty complex, so I had a look in the original patent, and it's, well, it's legal stuff, legal uh, language, so it was a bit hard for me. But in general, it seems that there is a higher chance for having a patent for both something new and complex. So not just one game mechanic, but a complex system of game mechanics interacting with, with each other, because it's usually mean that there is a bigger chance that it will be unique in the end. Uh, yes, I agree. And uh, yes, you, you were correct mentioning that patent. This is one of the most prominent one, especially like what game dev lawyers talk about. Uh, mm -hmm. This patent was really, it took really long for that patent to, to, to be registered finally. I believe it took like five years or something. And uh, I think it, it, it was granted the patent rights only in 2021. Uh, if I'm mm -hmm. not if I'm not wrong, so yeah, basically it took them really long to, to get it registered, and at the end of the day, that's a really interesting uh, technology, which, uh, is, if I understand it correctly, is all about teaching the non-player uh, characters to react the certain way to the way the user plays with it, and it learns from the previous behavior of the player to get stronger and stronger, so that the players get harder to beat the bosses in the end of the day. So uh, I, I don't really think that this is something crazy unique about it. I believe that a lot of uh, game dev developers might have thought about it at least and maybe even implemented something more or less in that way. Uh, I don't know what will be the strategy of Nintendo towards it. Will they, you know, sue everyone or will they let it go? Interesting. Let's see how it goes. But I haven't seen about any court case concerning this specific patent or any other Nintendo patents in the in, in the past couple of years. Of course, there were cases. I know that they've been in court for several times for that as well. Also, they were sued for some patents. So it's, you know, it's a long battle sometimes you get sued sometimes you sue someone it's it's okay it's a real shame like in an industry that that thrives on iteration and inspiration between extremely creative teams of people these patents kind of feel like uh just shutting that down you know especially in the case of the nemesis system i actually have a personal connection with it. I, I wrote my master's thesis all about this system and about how brilliant it was at kind of reinventing how games can tell stories and unfortunately now it only warner brothers can affect effectively or, or, or cheaply, I suppose, iterate on that mm -hmm. system. So the iteration of that idea will slow down. Like do, what are some of the like motivations? that a company has for patenting, do you think? Can you guys speak to that, Alexandra, perhaps? Yeah, I think that uh, there are uh, two sides to this coin. And uh, I uh, suppose that the first and the most crucial one is not about protection, but is uh, maybe about how not to infringe other rights. For example, when we talk about big companies, I uh, told with uh, lawyers from these big companies and uh, they uh, told me that it's uh, very important for them not to infringe other rights. And uh, uh, they uh, have a lot of cases with patent trolls. Uh, we just don't know about these cases because it's like quite confidential. But uh, very often these big companies suffer from patent trolls or from unfair competitors who tries to sue them for infringement of trademarks, of patents or something. Because it's quite big money, especially when we talk about... Uh, big uh, markets like uh, America, for example, 
it's quite big money compensations uh, for infringement of uh, somebody's uh, trademark or patent. And uh, I suppose that uh, a lot of companies uh, don't want to sue somebody. And uh, I think that fact that uh, Alina said, we don't uh, see a lot of cases when we see, for example, Nintendo with uh, such a big portfolio uh, sues right, right. Uh, another companies. No, we just see that they has this portfolio. And I think it's uh, about oh. this infringement. They want to be first and uh, they don't want uh, to suffer from these uh, suits from another companies. Okay, okay. Interesting. Another metaphor here. So like these big <laughs> companies like Warner Brothers, like Nintendo are like whales, right? They're huge uh, and they're really creative, of course. Are generating all these things. There are all these patent trolls, which are like little annoying fish that yeah, want to yeah. claim that they made the thing before the big guy did it. Before, for example, Shadow of Mordor came up with this, the designers came up with this brilliant system. And they would go attack, attack Monolith or Warner Brothers or whoever is the patent holder. It is Warner Brothers, right? So yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, they would then yeah. claim that Warner Brothers stole the idea from them. So actually, such a patent for the Nemesis system is less of like a big, you know, F you to the rest of the industry. You're not allowed to play with this and more of like a, a defensive move for, for such a large player. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Like a shield. Like, uh, also nice. enormous shield. Hey, there you go. Using the other <laughs> yeah. before. Cool. Interesting. Well explained. Thank you very much, Alexandra and Alina. It's a good moment to turn into a more practical side of the question. So say, uh, we've got a little thing here with Yessa trying to imagine that we are a small studio making games and asking stupid questions. So say, we're a small studio making games. We want to be protected as much as we can. So in advance, for example, there is a game we want to launch. What should we do? How can we fight the upcoming clones of our game, for example? Or uh, should we make a trademark and use part of our revenue right now for it? So what will you recommend? Um, if you don't mind, I will start. So first of all, I would say that before even you, you know, go into fight someone else and protect yourself from the outer world, you should think about the inside world of your game and uh, think about uh, how you would structure your relationship with the developers, with the art people, with the soundtrack people, you know, with everyone who creates the game. And as I told you in the beginning, you know, the company who has the right holder, who is the right holder, is usually someone who collects the rights from the authors of small pieces of the game. And this is the first thing you should start with. You should start with collecting correctly and legally correctly all the rights from all the authors that work for you. And I would say that this is the first and the most crucial thing because sometimes, you know, you create code with 10, let's say, um, software developers and one leaves and steals the code. This is something you should first think about before you even launch your game or before you even start thinking about protecting your game from third parties, you know? So yes, I would say that first thing to think about is how you manage your people, your employees, your contractors, you know, firstly from the leakages and secondly, just how you correctly collect it. And this is something to think about even if there is no violation, because let's say you have a publisher, later on you have investor and investors, you know, before they put the money into you, they hire lawyers to check that everything is correct from the intellectual property side. And of course, they hire someone like us and we come and see that there is no contract. Everybody was paid in cash, you know, nobody really signed anything, no rights were collected. And then, yeah, you know, we tell this to the investor and investor says, oh no, I don't want to deal with this. And the, the this deal won't happen. And I would say that this is the first thing to think about how you correctly correct all the copyright on the company that you started or on yourself if there is no 
company. So that is just the first thing to think about. Second thing, yes, once you get launched, um, copyright, just to register a trademark is a great idea. I think we will already talked a lot about how important it is, and at least in one or two locations. I would recommend starting with the United States and European Union as just two most you know popular jurisdictions where most users are and most players are and most revenue comes from. And uh, first of all, and secondly, because most of the stores that we know about are the American companies, you know, Apple, Google Play, uh, you know, uh, Roblox, uh, Steam, all of that's American companies and they abide by the American laws. So starting from registering your trademark in America is a great just thought to have. Uh, yeah, I would say that these two steps can already uh, prevent most of the troubles that you might get into. But of course, then if you've done this and you are like, I have extra money for the lawyers, what can I do next? Of course, we can come up with a lot of ideas what you can do next. But this is something the first two top two things I would recommend doing. Um, Alexandra, maybe you could uh, add up something no, here or is it correct? I think that's, that's a base, yes. Well, I do have a I do have a follow up, and I'll I'll direct it at you, Alexandra. So something you mentioned in passing, Alina, is you know the big uh, stores and platforms, Steam, Google Play, uh, well Google, I guess, or Alphabet or whatever we call it these days, uh, and and Apple are based in the U.S. They abide by the U.S. laws. Now that's something you mentioned in passing. So if I register myself with a, a patent or trademark, let's say trademark in the U.S. Steam, of course, being a US-based company, does that mean that Steam will recognize my trademark in all jurisdictions that it is being like, that it's on like computers, like in wherever, whatever continent it is, be it South America, Africa, Australia, any any nation in any of those places, or am I understanding that incorrectly? <laughs> Alina, okay, so <laughs> listeners, for those who cannot see, Alina just made the international hand sign for like sometimes yes, sometimes no. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Alina, no what, you, what do you want to say? Uh, I thought that the question was for you. Okay, no problem. So yeah, my point is that, of course, uh, since the, most of the stores are the American companies, of course, they uh, like... First, what they are looking at, if you have American registration of trademark or if you have American patent or whatever. But it doesn't really mean that once you registered the American trademark, you're good, you know, because since I told you and Alexandra told you that trademarks and patents, they are registered for each country specifically. You cannot have a trademark. I mean, you can if you're rich enough to register your trademark in all countries in the world. But usually you just choose the top priority countries and register there. And what does it mean in terms of the stores? It means that once you have uh, your trademark and there is another game coming up with uh, something very similar to a trademark and trying to violate it, uh, probably you just you just create a request for the store to delete it and usually they abide by it. But as a rule, if we're talking only about the trademarks, they will delete it only from the market where you have the trademark. So basically, if you have American mm. trademark, they will ban it only in America and it will still be valid for all the other countries. But it works another way for the copyright. We already talked about the difference between that as copyright works all over the world. There is a special system that helps uh, battling copyright protection and it's called DMCA. Basically, it's an American uh, digital millennium. So it sounds like it, a son name. Like DMCA. Yeah. It's, it's YMCA. <laughs> it was YMCA. Careful, but, they, have, they have a copyright on that. Be careful, man. They're going to come for us. Yeah. 
yeah, that's correct. So basically, uh, that's a law in America. It was introduced like 20 years ago. It was like end of 90s, I believe. So yeah, that's why it's called millennium. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the idea is that this is a law that protects the copyright and um, most of the platforms have to abide by it. And if you are sure that your game was stolen, you can go uh, via this system and ask the platform to delete the copycat game or whatever. And it will be deleted from everywhere. That's the difference with the trademark. If you go have a claim with the trademark, it will be deleted only from the country where you have the trademark. And if you go with a copyright claim, it will delete everywhere. This is something lawyers usually use. This is something uh, really important to know for those who can't afford lawyers and want to do that themselves. So DMCA claim system is really great and it is really working. But this is a U.S. law. So it applies to U.S. companies. However, those U.S. companies, a.k.a. all the big, at least Western platforms to download games, are based in the U.S. So DMCA is a great tool to be able to take down uh, copyright infringements across yeah. the world. Yeah, I have a case. I have a case. Um, I want to bring Why? it up. Uh, so basically, yeah, as we told you that usually uh, if you have a copyright violation, you go to the store and it deleted. And usually if uh, the store doesn't do it, you go through the guys in the court and you get your decision. However, there is one case that's really outstanding and I haven't seen anything like this before. So it was Ubisoft. I believe it's 2021 or 22. So it's a recent case. So they decided not just to sue the bad guys, so the guys who alerted copyright uh, copied their game but they also sued the Apple Store and the Google Play together so they were all oh. like co-violators you know like they uh, sued right. all of them together wow. and they succeeded actually so the idea I think that why they did it uh, like I'm trying to understand the logic of their lawyers like why, why did they decide to do that it was uh, maybe easier for them to sue you know to, to raise one case and you know, the next day, all the platforms deleted uh, the alert, mm -hmm. you know, copyright violator. They just wanted to raise an awareness. Guys, we're here, we're really serious about it. So I think that this was just their strategy not to go to each store specifically and battle with this game in each store separately, but rather go to one court and show to the whole you know, world community uh, we are after those guys. So that was really effective. And actually, this wasn't just, you know, a cheap clone or something. It was a game called Area F2. And and uh, it uh, was really successful. It uh, gained roughly 6 million users across the App Store. And it, they had wow. their revenue about half a million Whoa. dollars for first month. So it wasn't that's just, you know, big. like a cheap game. It was a big game that they just well, turned down. Well, crazy big. Yes. And, that's uh, huge. <laughs> Yes, and so they sued not only the uh, owners of that game, but also the Google Play and App Store together. So they were like co-violators. Wow. Hopefully setting some precedent for the future so that other companies are a little bit less likely to try the same kind of trick, right? Yeah, That's I guess what so. You would think. Yeah, I think so. So we've got only one thing left. As usual, we've got a real neat tradition here. We try to come up with one game recommendation. It might be a mobile game, a PC, a console, an oldie, something brand new, anything that you love and you want to share. So maybe I can start this time. So I was thinking about a low-hanging fruit and talking about Asatori series, but it will be a cheat. So I think I will go with a lore-based game as well, but another one. It's called Aviary Tony. Not, not sure you've heard about it. So it came, I think, five years ago or so. It's based in the medieval, in like 18th century French, and it's all about birds, 
like anthropomorphic birds, suing each other and fighting each with each other in the court. So it's kind of like AC20, but the visual style is absolutely different. It's closer to the 18th century gravures, and it's just so stylish and so interesting and so funny because you've got all That's these right. birds, yeah, with, with canes in cylinders, cursing and trying to sue each other. Which, what do they sue each other about? Like... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> like whose nest is on yeah. whose yeah, property? Yeah, who, or? yeah exactly. Well, who, whose egg is this? Is it a cuckoo egg or something like that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that will be my choice. Yes, sir. Well, what about you? What's your choice today? So I was thinking about this as well, kind of in line with the topic. And not necessarily a game about lawyers, but a game about law and choosing whether to break it or follow it. Uh, the game Papers, Please, if you're uh, familiar with it. Of course, a, a beautiful game about the about ethics and decision-making and consequences. And of course, set in, in a kind of, you know, authoritarian state where the main character needs to both feed his uh, family, uh, but also deal with uh, people who are trying to who are trying to get in you're an immigration officer it's a very kind of old game we all are nodding we all kind of have heard of it before i'm sure our listeners are like you don't need to explain papers yeah, yeah, to yeah. us but just in case uh i think it's a great game and maybe worth uh, reevaluating if we're thinking about truth and uh and and law I, so think my recommendation. All, I think we all have soundtrack from Papers, Please right now playing in our heads. <laughs> you know, this heavy soundtrack. Yeah, like yeah. Yeah. Glory to War Tosca. I think that's what is the name yeah. of the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also just talk about like soul crushing aesthetics, you know, like it really, yeah. the game, the game visually and indeed with sound as well does a great job of communicating the experience of what it must be like to be, to be that customs agent, that border guard. So Alexandra, do you have a recommendation for us? Uh, yeah, it's not new. I think that everybody knows this game, but it's my favorite one. It's uh, Detroit Become Human. Oh, <laughs> I love That's nice. it. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's uh, very beautiful. It's very beautiful visually. It's very beautiful. Uh, and uh, how I love uh, in this game that uh, it's about choices. And it's like in life, you know, a lot of choices and a lot of consequences. And maybe as a lawyer, I think about a lot of options and consequences. Uh, in this game, you can uh, choose uh, different um, different endings and it's based on uh, choices you made. So I love this type of games and I love this one. Nice. Great recommendation. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think mm -hmm. this game still outshines even after all these years. It's one of the most complicated narrative system out there with different choices and consequences of these choices. So yeah, Alexandra, yeah. a great one. And it's very beautiful. It's very beautiful visualization. It is true. Mm. It is true. Elena, okay. so what about you? Yeah. Uh, I have two games in mind, if you don't mind, if, if I can come up with yeah, two. Yeah. So first we'll of all, it. we'll allow it. It's fine. <laughs> so first of all, of course, I'm famous for for loving this game. It's called Disco Elysium. I mean, I cannot come and all pass right. by without without not recommending this one. Nice. Also about choices. Also a narrative game. I believe I read somewhere that the text in this game in its volume was more than three war and pieces altogether. Like in in, in the in the amount of pages that this text were about. Cool. And, and it's a crazy game. I love it. And there is uh, nothing. Been playing it like four or five times in a row. Every time have different outcome, you know, uh, every time um, playing it differently. So it's really nice. Uh, but another game, at, if we're talking about anti-utopias, and I believe that Papers, Please, uh, Detroit Becoming Human, not sure about the lawyering 
bird game, but <laughs> probably not, maybe not it falls into this category as well. So the game I would recommend is Road 96. It's a game oh, yeah, I've been nice. playing recently. You know, all major world events kind of inspires to play this game. So basically, it's a game about America turning evil, turning tot- into totalitarianism, and it, you play as a teenager trying to escape it, and there are a lot of ways to cross the border, and a lot of uh, choices that you also have to make. So I believe that the games we recommend today are about choices. So, yeah. Make yeah, the right choice. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Great Sounds recommendation. Good. Thank you. All right. Then I think we are set. We've got a wonderful set of recommendations. We had a wonderful talk with Alina and Alexandra. So, ladies, thank you for coming and sharing your knowledge. I definitely feel much more enlightened right now and at least understanding what is going on in the legal world. A little bit, just a little bit, but still. So, thank you for being with us today. And, yeah. And to all the viewers and listeners out there, thank you for being with us. Thank you for just staying up to this moment. See you next time. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.